if they are looking to grow their business and you do follow these five steps to get your money back after being burned by a contractor, then you're significantly increasing the likelihood of getting your money. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try SmartMove tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how SmartMove can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with SmartMove's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with SmartMove's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we got follow along Friday today. I hope you're having a wonderful Friday. Because it's Friday, we are going to talk about things that were learned from last week's interview session where I interviewed eight real estate investors. I'm taking some insights from those eight conversations, and we're going to talk about what I learned from those insights today. And these episodes that we're talking about will air around January or February timeframe. So it's going to be a little while. That's why I want to give you a sneak preview of some things that you can implement in your business today. With us, Theo Hicks. Hello, Theo. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going well and looking forward to it. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. First interview that I want to mention is with Amanda Cassidy. And more importantly, the first insight that will be helpful for you, best ever listeners, is here are five ways to get your money back after being burned by a contractor. What a prevalent thing as real estate investors that we come across is getting burned by contractors happens so frequently. And there's a lot of ways that we can mitigate the risk of this happening to us. Don't pay up front. Make sure you have check references. Make sure that you go look at the work that they have done with completed work. Make sure you call those references, all sorts of stuff. But we're not going to talk about the proactive approaches. We're going to talk about the ways you can react once you get burned by a contractor, should that happen to you, to attempt to get your money back 
from the contractor. Most of the time, we don't get the money back. But Amanda Cassidy, when I interviewed her, she's actually a friend of a friend. We are both really good friends with Carla Blumenthal, who is recently on the show. And Carla's a life coach. And I've known Carla for about 10 years-ish, maybe a little bit longer. And I met Amanda through Carla. And we were talking at Carla's wedding this past summer. And Amanda said that she had recently purchased the property and she got burned by a contractor. And I won't get into what transpired because you can listen to that during the interview. But what I do want to talk about are the five things that she did to attempt to get her money back. It was $20,000. And spoiler alert, she got the money back. She got $20,000 back that she had lost to a contractor. Usually doesn't happen, right? Theo, like you really rarely hear mm-hmm. getting your money back from a contractor. So here's what she recommends because these are the five things that she did. One is she recommends when you get burned by a contractor, one, try to have a conversation with the contractor or service provider directly. So reach out to him or her, say, hey, Here's what was done. Here's what wasn't done. Here's what should have been done based on what we agreed upon and try and resolve it with them directly. Okay. If that does not work, then two, she says, shout your experience from the rooftops. And what that means is go on social media, go see what organizations they are a part of. Talk to people who you know are connected to them based on their online reviews and just get the word out about your experience with them because as you start making some noise, then they might surface if they've been dodging your phone calls and emails. That's number two, shout from your experience from the rooftops. Number three is report to the Better Business Bureau. She reported this contractor to the Better Business Bureau and that still didn't work. She actually posted something or filed something, whatever you do through the Better Business Bureau, and the contractor did not respond. Therefore, it went on their, I don't know if it's a record or on their profile, whatever it is, but it got logged on because the contractor did not respond. And by the way, this contractor was recommended to her by a fellow investor. So this contractor came from a trusted source because she trusts this investor. And I know this investor who referred the contractor. He's a great guy. So he meant well, and this contractor had performed on previous jobs, but just messed up on this one. So the Better Business Bureau, number three. Number four, you got to get a lawyer. If one, two, and three don't work, then get a lawyer. And that lawyer, she said she interviewed multiple lawyers and she found someone who really understood what was taking place and really was passionate about representing her. So she went with that lawyer and through legal action, through writing letters, and this is where she wasn't able to disclose as much from the legal process just because perhaps there was some non-disclosure agreement. I don't know. But she got a lawyer and that lawyer was able to help her get her $20,000 back. And number five, part of that lawyer process, but you don't need a lawyer necessarily to do this, is to learn the local ordinances. For example, in this case, it was a plumber, the original plumber that she was trying to get her $20,000 back didn't pull permits to do the work. And knowing that information, that helps her case and hurts the plumber's case. So 
if you know the local ordinances and you reach out to the people involved there with the city or the county, then that will give you a leg up whenever you're seeking your money back from the contractor. So those are the five things. One, have a conversation with them directly. Two, shout it from the rooftops. Three, report to the Better Business Bureau. Four, get a lawyer. And five, make sure you're aware of the local ordinances and any permits that they should have pulled prior to doing the work. And underscoring all of that is how important it is to document everything along the way. So get videos of if they did inspections. In this case, the plumber had scoped some pipes and nothing showed up and something showed up and it was clearly the result of his work that cost her $20,000. So video, reports of the inspections, having those inspection reports, pictures, which really emphasizes the importance of getting documentation of contractor work throughout the process, at least a before picture before you hire them, and then some after pictures of after they're done and the work that was completed. That way, should something come up throughout the process that you have that documentation to fall back on. And granted, hey, if the contractor is not looking to grow their business and they're looking to just get a quick buck and skedaddle out of town, none of these recourses will likely help you because if someone's just simply doesn't care about their business reputation and or their credit, then there's not a whole lot you can do. But If they are looking to grow their business and you do follow these five steps to get your money back after being burned by a contractor, then you're significantly increasing the likelihood of getting your money. Yeah, I would say these are steps to maximize your chances of getting your money back, not guaranteed. Because I was going to say, yeah, if you've got a one-off contractor or a guy who does everything, and then they, as you mentioned, skip out of town, these probably aren't going to work. Maybe the lawyer part would work, chase them down. But I was just curious, did Amanda had the work completed and then pay this person and then realize the work was done improperly or did she pay them and the work was done, but actually wasn't done properly. I was wondering like what order that happened in. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Why do you ask? Because I know you said in the the beginning, one way to mitigate the chance that this happening is to wait to pay them until after the work is completed. But at the same time, even if you do that, it's not necessarily stopping you from losing money because they might complete the work you don't necessarily know if it's done, especially if it's like a leak when they just fix yeah. I had a leak in my closet and they fix it up and they cover it back up. So if you didn't take documentation, if they say, oh, it's done, you look at it, you don't see the leak, you pay them, the next day it leaks again, what are you going to do? That's what happened. Yeah, she. They, they did something with the alleged fix, she paid, and then it was not fixed and it caused a whole lot of other damage. Mm-hmm. There's poop coming from the ceiling, that type Ugh. of Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's a very entertaining interview, by the way. <laughs> I bet, bet, bet. <laughs> yes. All right. Next one is Peter Conti. He talked to me about how to approach landlords with creative financing. And this is on commercial properties. And I just want to call out the type of sentence structure that he uses whenever he's having the initial conversation. Let's set up the scenario first. Let's say they're looking for $2 million for a small apartment building that they own. And it's not worth $2 million, but they're stuck on $2 million. You could say, well, the way I could do this is I could give you monthly payments of $20,000 or whatever it is, $10,000. And I could agree to buy this building from you for 
maybe like 1.7 million, but it would be in about three, four years once I'm able to fix it up and it's, it's worth more. But you probably hate the idea, right? And the key part here, forget the details that I mentioned about the numbers. The key part here is that last sentence. You probably hate the idea, right? And by doing that, you learn two things. One, you learn if they do hate that idea. But then two, if they don't, then they say, I don't like most of it, but, and then they tell you an aspect of the idea that they are interested in. So for example, maybe monthly payments or for example, the purchase price of 1.7 instead of 2 million. And you can start creating an offer based on collaborating with the owner in a creative way versus just saying, all right, what I can do is I can give you two offers, one full price, the other is, and then come up with a creative offer. Because that is two distinct paths that you create independent of the owner. Whereas if you collaborate with them along the way and you learn what they're interested in in the transaction, then you can come up with something that helps solve their needs and help solve what you're looking for. And that is acquiring a property. Yeah, that's another creative way of, as you mentioned, trying to figure out what their pain points are, what they need. Because if they come at you and they say they want $2 million, you have to figure out how to get them to tell you why they need that money. And maybe in reality, they just want ongoing payments without having to deal with the, the property, as I kind of mentioned in your scenario. There's lots of different ways to identify pain points. We've talked about them on this podcast before. We've got a lot of blogs on it, which is kind of having as many different strategies in your repertoire as possible to figure out exactly what they would need in order to sell you the deal. Maybe it's, it's nothing at this moment, but uh, it's interesting. You probably hate that idea, huh? I'm going to start using that on my wife. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the answer is yes multiple times, then change your exactly. approach. Exactly. For family, but also for identifying pain points too, right? So you try this out and you realize it works every single time. Great. You try it out and the person doesn't work. Go to your next thing and figure out, okay, well, then why do you want $2 million? Or ask some other questions to figure out what they need. Yep. And then one follow-up to that is, you ask them, what is it about it that you like? Assuming that they say, no, I don't hate it. Then you say, okay, what is it about it that you like? And then that gets them to take the lead in the conversation. And they start crafting the creative structure, whereas the old way is you're forcing it down their throat. And they're like, what the hell are we talking about here? You have your notes here. So he does these for owners who've had the property for 15 years, or is this just an example of a deal? Yeah, yeah. he he looks for owners who have owned properties for more than 15 years. Okay. All right, and last one is Andrew Keel. I believe I'm remembering his name being pronounced that way. Andrew Keel, K-E-E-L. And he is a mobile home park investor and has been one since 2015. I was really impressed with him and... I enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot. One of the things that impressed me is one of the deals that he bought, he moved to that area to oversee the process and convinced his wife, and I think he has a child, convinced his wife, hey, let's go move here temporarily just to oversee things. Mm. And mobile home parks aren't in the flashiest of areas. So I don't imagine it was a resort style type of community that they were living in. But So that impressed me and just his overall approach impressed me with how he talked about the business and mobile home parks. And one of the two things I want to call out about the conversation. One is if you don't know about private utilities versus public, then here is a reminder or here's, I guess not a reminder if you don't know, here's something that you should know. You want to have 
public utilities whenever you're buying a mobile home park because if it's private, then you've got a well or a septic tank and you're required to maintain that, whereas public, it's part of the taxes. So make sure that if you do have private utilities that you budget accordingly, that's number one. And number two is going back to the creative deal structure and getting deals. Andrew says when he cold calls mobile home parks, he just gets the number for the mobile home park and he assumes the person answering is the owner. Most of the time it is not the owner, but he starts out with, would you be interested in selling? Now I think he says a couple sentences before that, hi, this is Andrew. My wife and I are looking to purchase in this area and we're looking to buy your mobile home park. Would you be interested in selling? Says something like that. I remember he said my wife and I, so he brings in the family component. And most of the time it's not the owner and they're like, whoa, I'm not the owner. Like, oh, okay. And then he starts building a rapport with that person. And his goal is to get the contact information for the owner through that conversation. And I asked him, how do you build rapport with the person in order to get the contact information? And he talks about that in the interview. You can listen to the interview. But that was something that I, I thought was a smart way of entering into the conversation. Because one, it could be kind of flattering to the person who's getting the phone call. But then two, it immediately gets to the crux of what you're looking to accomplish during the phone call versus beating around the bush a whole lot. And just thought it was a good way to make an efficient use of the phone conversation as you're dialing a bunch of different owners. Yeah. I also wonder too, because you mentioned it's going to be flattering if you just call us the site manager, let's say, and you make it seem like they're the owner and you treat them like they're the owner. I wonder if it's helpful in getting not necessarily getting the owner's information, but increasing your chance of getting the deal because you've already got someone there on your side because you've talked to them, you've flattered them, you've got to know them, they've gotten to know you. And ideally, if you're a nice person and they like you, then that might be helpful when they're talking to the owner, when they're mentioning, hey, I just talked to Joe on the phone. Seems like a really nice guy. He's interested in buying. Do you mind if I give him your contact information or whatever? And then I'm, I'm not sure exactly how mobile home management works, but at the same time, they might be the person that you can use to manage it in the back end too. Yep. Or be on your team, whoever that person you talk to is. Right. As long as you're not threatening their job. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cool. Those are my things. All right. Solid lessons. All right. Trivia question time. So the trivia question, first person to answer it correctly gets a free copy of our book. You can answer it in the YouTube comments of the video or info at joefireless.com. Last week's question, well, it's not really a question, it's a statement and the answer is the question because it was Jeopardy month. And it was the Midwestern Metro that achieved an all-time high apartment occupancy rate in the second quarter of 2019. It was 96.7%, and it is where Joe is right now. What is Cincinnati, Ohio? Wow. You regret selling your properties in Cincinnati after hearing that? If occupancy wasn't 96.7%, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but I do buy again. I'm going to buy in Cincinnati. And it's not because of this, just because I know the area very well. I know it's a good market. But that, I thought that was interesting that they achieved not a 10-year high, not a 5-year high, not a 20-year high, but an all-time apartment occupancy high of 96.7%. Yeah. This week's question is, what is the best city to work in tech in 2019? I'm going to get a little bit more specific. So the five factors that this is based off of is average salary, average cost of living, oh. tech employment comp tech. <laughs> Your answer is number three. San Francisco. <laughs> number, number three, tech employment concentration, unemployment rate, 
and ratio of average pay to tech pay? I'll give you a hint. I was personally surprised by the answer. You were personally surprised by the answer. Austin, Texas comes to mind. I don't think you'd be surprised by that, but I'll just say Austin, Texas. Okay. Again, as a reminder, first person to answer correctly, either in the YouTube comments or by... Oh, oh, Pittsburgh. I'm going Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. That's my guess. All right. First person to get it correctly in YouTube comments of this video or info at Joe Fairless emailing us the answer. We'll get a free copy of our first book. And then lastly, we're going to highlight a free apartment syndication resource of the week. So as you know, each week, every Wednesday and Thursday, we release our syndication school series on this podcast as well on the YouTube channel. And on following Friday, we're going to highlight some of the free documents we've given away so far. Series number 13, we discuss breaking down the apartment financials. That's the profit and loss statement and the rent roll. We talked about that from the perspective of underwriting the deal, as well as evaluating it on the back end. And in that episode, we provided a free T12 example and a free rent roll example. Now by themselves, they're not super flashy, but if you listen to the actual episode, it's four episodes to cover the T12, to cover the rent roll. And we go into extreme detail on that exact rent roll that you'll have in your hands and what to look for when you're underwriting, what to look for when you're analyzing it in the back end of the business plan, definitions, what's good, what's bad, basically everything you need to know about those two very important financials. So that is series number 13. If you want to get those two documents, they will be in the show notes of this episode, as well as episode 1632. 1632 is where that series begins. So I highly recommend if you download those documents to listen to the episodes as well. Best ever listeners, I hope you got a lot of value from our conversation and we'll talk to you tomorrow. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.